Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Welcome to Congressman Lamborn on maintaining American nuclear deterrence. Please welcome Patty Jane Geller, the Heritage Foundation's Senior Policy Analyst in the Center for National Defense. All right, good afternoon everyone and uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we're thrilled to welcome Congressman Doug Lamborn. He represents Colorado's 5th District and he uh, is the ranking member on the House Armed Services Subcommittee on Strategic Forces, uh, which is a, a new role for him as of this year. Uh, so he, he works on issues of nuclear deterrence every day. So he's one of uh, the best people we could have here this afternoon uh, to talk all things nuclear deterrence. Uh, and actually, this event is perfect timing because I know, sir, earlier today you had uh, the Strategic Forces Subcommittee um, NDAA markup for FY 2023. Um, so Glad we scheduled this for today. Um, love to hear your insights on, on that, on NDAA and a, a number of issues. Um, so to start us off, I, I'd like to ask you if you could just kind of outline for us what have been some of your top priorities uh, since you started uh, in your role as ranking member on strategic forces earlier this year? Great question, Patty Jane, and it's wonderful to be here at Heritage with all of the people uh, who are watching online and in person. Two of my sons have interned here at Heritage, so I think the world of this organization. And Patty Jean, thank you for inviting me also. My priorities really involve around the priorities of the subcommittee, which we have four buckets. One is missile defense. Uh, one is the nuclear triad, the, the um, uh, nuclear weapons and the enterprise to keep those weapons. And then we have to modernize them. They have been aging. And President Obama, under uh, the New START Treaty, when that passed the Senate, he promised we would modernize and the money would be there. It's a little bit of a struggle each year to make sure the money and the funding is in place, but modernization is so critical. And we'll get more into that as we get into our discussion. And hypersonics. Hypersonics are so important. Russia and especially China are really carrying the day on this, and we're, we're behind, we're lagging. We've uh, done a little bit of testing, a little bit of, of discovering how we can uh, deploy hypersonics, uh, but we haven't really deployed anything significant, and China is deploying every day. And that is something we are behind on, and that's what maybe my biggest priority. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, I wanna mention military space. Uh, our intelligence and military satellites that need to be protected from any threats that need to operate, that need to work properly and be effective and the new generations that are coming online. So military space is my fourth and, and final priority in the subcommittee. Yeah, awesome. And I know how much work you've done on hypersonics. I'm excited to ask you about that later on. And um, I've, I've several programmatic uh, budgetary questions to get to, especially after the uh, subcommittee markup today, but I, I thought I, it would be best to start by talking about the threat, uh, as we always do. Uh, so the, one of the biggest topic on all of our minds uh, every day these days is Russia and uh, Putin's nuclear saber rattling over Ukraine. Uh, and there's a lot of speculation over, you know, will Russia use a nuclear weapon? If so, how do we respond? 
Um, but I want to ask you something a bit different, uh, and that's what are some of the lessons that we're learning about uh, the way that Russia views nuclear weapons, how it uh, employs nuclear weapons as a tool of coercion, especially compared to the U.S.? Uh, and the reason I ask that is because, you know, now it's Ukraine, a, non-member, a non-NATO member, but what if next time it's uh, Poland, Estonia? What lessons should yes. NATO be taking away from dealing with Russia? Patty Jean, this is really a critical and timely question. And I think one thing we learn, one takeaway, is that when Vladimir Putin makes threats, you take him seriously. He talked about invading Ukraine. Many people thought, oh, he's really not going to follow through. He's just blustering. No, he did it for sure. And thousands and thousands of people have died as a result. Another takeaway is he was been subtly and not so subtly threatening to use nuclear weapons in a conventional war a war that's not on his territory, uh, a war with a country that has no nuclear weapons, and yet he's been threatening them, he's been threatening any countries that help them, and it's, like I said, sometimes it's been subtle, sometimes not so subtle. They'll say, you'll see things you've never seen before. Okay, what does that mean? Uh, It can only mean nuclear weapons. So with Russia, uh, and also look at what they've been testing and promising to field. They did an anti-satellite test recently, which created clouds of debris up in space, which even threatened their own cosmonaut or cosmonauts and, and our people in the International Space Station. Um, they, they, that was kind of destructive and unnecessary, the way they went about it. And also, Vladimir Putin has threatened to create novel types of weapons, including nuclear weapons that the world has not seen before, like an long-distance underwater torpedo that's nuclear-armed mm-hmm. that can go you know, from Europe to North America. I don't know. I don't know what his intentions are. Or a nuclear-powered cruise missile, and I don't know how that would be armed, but it would be nuclear-powered that could, he says, go around the world and come into our country from any direction. So these are novel threats that no one has ever uh, fielded before. And once again, it shows the threat. It shows the mentality and how we have to take it seriously. There are some in Congress who maybe don't take it as seriously, at least not until recently. We do have a good bipartisan agreement. Hey, we've got to help Ukraine. And Vladimir Putin is totally out of control and if not a a war criminal and everything else. So so it's good right now, but uh, we have to maintain this awareness that we have some serious threats with Russia. Yeah, I think that's a great assessment. And, you know, comparing to the U.S., you never see U.S. leaders going around making several nuclear threats. You know, for better or worse, um, there's such a difference here. And I think it's important we're making sure we're dealing with Russia as it is, not the way we might wish they were to be like us. Or So, yeah, I, I, think, you, I think you nailed that one. We have to keep the, the support going to Ukraine and take those threats seriously. Um, and so, the, of course, the other threat on everyone's mind is China, mm-hmm. um, you know, where Russia is fighting Ukraine and making nuclear threats now, but China is the one projected to become a nuclear peer to the U.S. and Russia uh, with the capability to execute any nuclear employment strategy. Uh, so my question for you, Congressman, is, so what? Uh, you know, China has had nuclear weapons for a really long time, and everything's been fine. Um, what does it, break, break it down for us, what does it really matter for our national security that now China uh, is building up to the levels of U.S. and Russia? Well, apart from nuclear weapons, China is fielding, like Russia, all kinds of capabilities in space, Mm -hmm. 
offensive capabilities to do ISR, uh, intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance, uh, or to go after our own assets, our own critical command and control, or our own ISR platforms in space. So they are working night and day on that capability. Hypersonics, we've already mentioned that. China is beyond even Russia and way beyond ourselves, unfortunately. But when it comes to nuclear weapons, up until recently, China only had a small amount of nuclear weapons, enough to say, hey, take us seriously, you know, don't do anything and we'll, you know, we'll all be good. Um, kind of a deterrence. But lately, they've been on a building spree. Uh, they've doubled their nuclear arsenal in the last two years, and they are uh, showing no signs of relenting of of keeping that going in the future. And the trouble with that, Patty Jane, is that we have New START treaties that limit what we can do with Russia. It limits our entire nuclear capability and kind of ignores, acknowledges, but not really takes China into that big of an account because most of our competition in the past has been with Russia. But now, we were locked into these agreements like 1,550 uh, nuclear platforms and, and things like that for strategic nuclear weapons. Uh, tactical nuclear weapons are a, a different issue. Mm -hmm. But the, but then now China is on board really uh, going through a building spree. And what we've done in limiting, limit, limiting ourselves with Russia doesn't really adequately account for the Chinese threat now. Yeah. So we're behind in accounting for that threat. And China hasn't shown any willingness to come to the negotiating table and do limitations or talks of limitations. And they're also doing things like um, uh, concealing or making mobile different nuclear capabilities or planning to. So so we, we there's some uncertainty with actually how big their nuclear uh, arsenal is, and that creates uncertainty. Right. So with China, things are uncertain, and we haven't really addressed them unless we do some kind of expansion of our nuclear capabilities somehow, and we haven't done that yet. Right. And if we remain behind on the Chinese nuclear threat, how do you think that might impact, or what risks does that give us for, I don't know, a uh, contingency in Taiwan? Does that make it more difficult for us to fight China? Do we have to worry more about their nuclear weapons? For Absolutely. Yeah. You hit the nail right on the head. And uh, I, I hope it, the, the trouble with these authoritarian regimes that are not democracies like the United States or many of our, our partners and allies in Europe and around the world, uh, they sometimes see things in, from, with blinders on. They don't really have the people's perspective. They have maybe a small limited echo chamber of how they view the world. And uh, we don't know necessarily that they have a proper grip on reality. And I think a lot of us would wonder if Vladimir Putin has a grip on reality. Right. He, he expected things to go one way. You know, it'd be easy to overrun uh, Ukraine and cap, uh, capture the capital and arrest Zelensky or execute him or whatever. And none of that has happened. Uh, so so they, make, they make big mistakes. And that's what's so scary. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so you mentioned the potential need to expand our own nuclear forces to face the, the, the new Chinese threat. So perfect segue to talking about um, the state of U.S. nuclear forces. 
you know, even though the, the threats are growing, I think some uh, good news worth talking about is the increasingly bipartisan support we're seeing for modernizing the nuclear triad, uh, which you said was one of your top priorities. Um, you know, there's been a lot of pressure on the Biden administration from the left to, um, whether that be going down to a dyad, cutting our ICBMs, uh, delaying some of our modernization programs. But I at least was uh, really pleased to see in this year's budget request all of the triad modernization programs fully funded. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think maybe we're finally um, passed or out of the water on debates over the need for ICBMs, the basic needs for a triad? Well, I, I hope we are. I don't think we're completely past it, and there are those elements within Congress that are pacifist or unilateral disarmament oriented, and so we can't ever take it for granted. Mm. We have to continue the debate. Uh, I'm glad that you and Heritage are so engaged and your people like Andy Braun and others who are experts on your staff. Uh, this is important to keep up this debate and really bring awareness to the American people and me work within Congress to bring awareness to my colleagues mm -hmm. uh, because you can't take it for granted. Right now, I think because of the invasion of Ukraine by Putin, uh, we have an awareness that, hey, the world is a dangerous place and we're doing some good steps and I applaud the Biden administration, there's things in the defense budget proposal they sent over that I don't agree with, but I think with modernization, I think that's in a good spot. And I, I hope to be able to build on that bipartisan approach for this year's NDAA. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So sounds like we're okay for now, but knock on wood, maybe. Yes, right. Yeah. Um, and so you, you alluded to the potential need to, um, maybe the next debate is going to be, do we need to adjust our modernization programs, expand our nuclear posture to account for uh, the drastic change in nuclear threat? We have two nuclear peers now. We only used to have one. Um, what do you think? Do you think that in the next few years we're going to have to start talking about maybe fielding um, additional or uh, different kinds of nuclear capabilities on top of what we're modernizing right now? Uh, the consensus up until now, and I would maybe be a, a more aggressive, but the consensus has been to just stick to our tried and true nuclear weapons, don't introduce any new capabilities, mm -hmm. uh, ju ju but just, and, and to modernize what's there because with the aging process, especially with radioactive warheads, you can't really be sure that they're always going to perform as they're intended without periodic upgrades. So I think the modernization is kind of where we're stuck at right now. Now Russia feels free to introduce new novel uh, weapons that we've talked about, and they're also modernizing, and they're also adding weapons where they're allowed to, which is on the tactical side, uh, and they have thousands of those. Uh, and China is not bound by any treaty, uh, so they, they do whatever they want, and we see them doing that. They're adding uh, so so there, we're kind of stuck in a framework where we have, with good intentions, tried to sort of cement into place a, uh, a, a, an arrangement with Russia where they wouldn't be proliferating and we wouldn't be, but they're looking for ways to um, do that on the side. And, in fact, under President Trump, we had to back out of the INF, International Intermediate Nuclear Forces, if I have the acronym correct, yeah. Uh, treaty because they were cheating on that. Right. So we backed out of it because we were tied our hands behind our back. We were complying and they were not. So we just had to get out of that one. But New Start, we, um, Joe Biden, one of his first acts was to say, hey, let's give you five more years on this. 
without even asking for concessions. I think that was a strategic mistake not to ask for concessions. But that, that is the deal we have right now. In an emergency, we could back out. But right now, we're, gonna, we're keeping to treaties, expecting in good faith the other countries to do so. And let's hope they comply. But the, the record is all, has been a little spotty. Right. Yeah, I think that, that makes perfect sense. Uh, and you know, one program that uh, we are considering pursuing to bolster our nuclear posture is uh, the nuclear-armed sea-launched cruise missile, uh, mm -hmm. the Slickamen. Uh, and you've been a strong advocate for continuing that program in Congress, which um, I and we at the Heritage have appreciated. Um, mm -hmm. But you, and unfortunately, the Biden administration decided to cancel that program uh, in both its nuclear posture review and this year's budget request. And I know you you mentioned you don't agree with everything in in uh, the budget request. So I'm wondering, can, can you talk about um, you know what is this, the sea launch cruise missile? Why is it so important? Why are you advocating for continuing that capability? Yeah, that's a great question, Patty Jane. And this is one of the things, and the B-83 gravity bomb, which we might talk about in a little bit, mm -hmm. are two really specific disagreements that myself and my national defense conservative friends in Congress um, would disagree with as well with the Biden administration. Uh, they want to zero out the dollars for the Slickham N sea launch cruise missile hyphen N nuclear, nuclear tipped. Funny acronym. And the, the importance of it and why we should keep funding and eventually uh, fielding these is because they give us a new capability, sort of a niche capability. If you combine that with low yield nuclear weapons, only because Russia has gotten up to the point where they have thousands of tactical, which means battlefield, not intercontinental, but battlefield nuclear weapons. You know, God forbid they ever use these uh, in Ukraine or anywhere, but they have them and they do respond to deterrence. So we need to make sure that we have them also. And that makes the world a safer place. So to be able to deliver those, uh, if you have the cruise missile from a submarine capability, that creates doubt in the minds of our potential adversaries. And that doubt is good for deterrence because it takes away an area where they can kind of run free. They, they have restraints. They have to consider our capability to address a situation that otherwise they can just ignore uh, because we could come after them un under certain circumstances with the slick them in. So that's why I don't want to zero that out. Right. I think that that's taking away, you know, taking away a tool out of our toolbox that we should have available. Right, I agree. I think that's a great assessment. Uh, and part of that's probably China too. Uh, China has hundreds of these regional nuclear-capable missiles, and we don't have any nukes in the Indo-Pacific. Uh, so I think the Slicka Men would be good there too. I think you've made that argument before as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we no funding for Slicka Men in the budget, um, but it seems to me at least like there's some growing support in Congress for the Slicka Men. I know you've had uh, more than more than a few of our senior military leaders come over and testify in favor of the program. Uh, Admiral Richard, General Milley mm -hmm. have said we should mm -hmm. keep it going, for, for instance. Um, what's your assessment of the, the prospects of getting uh, Slickham N funded this year? Do you think that, from your perspective in Congress, do you think we could do it? Patty Jean, I hope we can at least have it funded where we can continue doing the behind the scenes uh, R&D on this program and evaluate in the future. Mm -hmm. Maybe the need will go away. I doubt it. It may, it may intensify. And, but at least having that option, I think, is important for the future. So while I don't think we can have dollars for actually 
building and deploying these for the immediate time being because we have the White House, the Senate, and the House all under Democrat control. Mm -hmm. But let's say things change in uh, January, which I hope they do. <laughs> and, and if this happens, for national security reasons, we would have that maybe as an uh, option to bring back out on the table again. But, it, but let's don't zero it out and see it go away. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. And I, I hope we'll get that result with uh, your leadership in, in the NDAA markup uh, next week, I think. Or uh, later this weeks, month. Later, this, later month. this month. Yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> Um, great. So, and then let's move on to the other um, issue up for debate. You mentioned the B83 gravity bomb, yes. uh, which was also mm -hmm. zeroed out by the Biden administration. Uh, and you, you made a great point in, I think it was a May subcommittee hearing, that you don't see the rationale for canceling uh, this weapon um, when we need it to hold at risk uh, hard and deeply buried targets. Mm -hmm. um, and we've heard the administration say, oh, well, it's, it's too old, it's a clunky weapon, it's unnecessary to maintain. Um, but can you explain to us, so, what are hard and deeply buried uh, targets that we're worried about, and why do we need to keep the B-83 around uh, to hold those at risk? Patty Jane, once again, a great question. One example would be North Korea. Mm. North Korea makes a habit of, of digging these tunnels that they use for storing and um, bringing to the surface in a time of conflict a nuclear weapon, a, nu a missile with nuclear warheads on it. So. If it's deeply buried, you need a certain kind of weapon, and, and your average, I say average nuclear weapon, uh, is not capable of addressing that. Mm. So you, once again, it's a tool in the toolbox with the deeply penetrating capability or features of the B-83, you have something that our other nuclear weapons don't necessarily have. And so it's... It's a capability that by having it, you create doubt in the mind of a potential adversary, and th it takes away some of their options and keeps them more under control, basically, uh, more hopefully in a reasonable frame of mind to not start anything horribly ill-advised or aggressive. And even with Russia and China, there could be the potential for deeply buried targets. But certainly with North Korea, we, we see that, uh, that that's something they're working on all the time to create. Yeah, yeah, good point. North Korea is a good example. And you know, we're hearing all the news stories about a new nuclear test by them as well. Um, B83, do you think is that, do you anticipate that will be another debate in NDAA to yes, get funded? Yes, Jane, it will be like the Slickham Inn. It'll be a debate, and it's something where I totally disagree with the Biden administration on. Uh, like, like I said earlier, I'm giving them credit for modernization dollars, and that's good. Let's build on that common ground. But in the case of the Slickham Inn and the B83, I totally disagree. Yeah, I think, I think that makes sense. Um, you talked about our adversaries are building so many things up. Um, maybe not a good time to take down our own capabilities. Right. Yeah. That's right. Um, so let's turn, I'd like to turn to uh, pit production, which I, I see at least as maybe another debate coming up this year. Um, and as, as you know well, sir, uh, we, the United States doesn't uh, conduct live tests of its nuclear weapons. Instead, we rely on a stockpile stewardship and modernization programs to ensure that our stockpile is uh, safe, secure, and effective. Uh, and critical to that is the ability to re, uh, restore our plutonium pit production capabilities, which I don't think we've had since uh, 1983. Um, but unfortunately, last year we heard that we won't meet our goal or our stat or requirement of meeting of being able to produce uh, 80 plutonium pits per year, mm -hmm. uh, which we need for our, our old weapons. So, can you explain to us what are some of 
the risks of uh, facing delays in our plutonium pit production capability. Uh, you know, why does this matter so much? Well, plutonium is a radioactive metal, and as a result, we don't know how it lasts over decades of just sitting in storage waiting to be used. If it deteriorates too much, then it's not a usable weapon, and it does not have the credibility of being an effective deterrent. So both our adversaries may want to take advantage of that, or our allies who depend on us. We have about 30 countries under our nuclear umbrella. And if they start doubting that we have a credible deterrent, they're going to want to strike out on their own, and we're going to have more proliferation in the world. And I don't think anyone really wants, wants that. So we have to have plutonium pits. Pits are what are compressed at, at the strategic time of detonation and reach critical mass and explodes. And um, it's an art in making these, but we're the only country that can't really make them on a, any kind of scale right now. Yeah. So that's, and it, although we invented it, we've let that capability atrophy. So we, we have to have that capability and we have to have the funding to produce that capability. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And even North Korea can produce pits, is that right? That's my understanding. Only, only That's my understanding. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, it's my understanding uh, the, NNS, the National Nuclear Security Administration requested extra funding to try and speed up the plutonium pit production schedule. Um, I, th I think that's another issue that we might see coming up. That's one of those funding issues we have to make sure it's online. And it's not going to happen overnight, so we mm -hmm. have to prepare for the future by funding it right now. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Uh, and so we have time for, I don't know, maybe one or two more questions. Uh, and I, I told you I'd ask about hypersonics because you're doing so much work on that issue. Uh, you know, we've kind of a theme of our discussion has been um, maybe the U.S. is at risk of falling behind as our adversaries are building up their capabilities. Uh, mm -hmm. How do we stand when it comes to hypersonics, um, you know, maybe our offensive and even our defensive uh, systems against hypersonics. Another Is great question, Patty Jane. We are behind the Russians and way behind the Chinese. Uh, hypersonics are those sh uh, ships, rockets, missiles, whatever you call them, that can go five times the speed of sound or, or more. And they're very hard to defend again mm -hmm. against when they're going so fast. And uh, so, they can even carrying a conventional warhead uh, or just hitting something without a warhead because they're going so fast, they can do tremendous damage. And so they're a capability that China has exploited because they kind of see that we don't have that and it fits their geographical situation, uh, position. So, but, I, we're, but we're starting to address this. I'm really pushing for it uh, to make sure we have the funding in place, the testing, and then the, the earliest possible fielding of models and then continuing to refine and develop those models. And whether it's uh, air launched from a plane or gr uh, ground launched or even sea launched eventually, uh, these are things we have to uh, be bringing online. And it's one of my priorities to keep our country safe because mm -hmm. we, we're, we're losing that capability. We, we've gotten behind on the capability. And then to defend against these, no one can do that. Right. And I'm hopeful that with our creative genius, our industrial might as a country, that once uh, the brilliant people we have working in defense industry and, and for the government, once we really set our minds to it, we can maybe come up with defenses. Um, but the, that day is not here right now, and we have to work on that and fund that R&D as well. Yeah, that, that's a big project. Do you think the 
how is the budget this year for hypersonics? Are we kind of in a good place, at least moving forward, or is there a lot more? We're, we we're moving be doing? forward, but not as fast or as much as I would like. Right. So I'm going to be looking to add amendments to the budget where we're putting more dollars into this critical need. Oh, great. Um, we'll yeah. look forward to seeing that, I guess, uh, the full NDAA markup in a couple weeks. Yeah. Um, awesome. So we're, we're coming up, we're coming close to uh, the end of our event here. I think we're right, up, right about the end of our time. Um, but before we close, did I miss anything? Are there any other critical issues we should talk about or that you want to add uh, for our audience as we uh, you know, get back to our NDAA debates? Pat Jane, I think you've addressed so many of these issues so well, and you're, uh, uh, I appreciate your interest and everyone associated with Heritage and watching uh, their interest as well. These are critical issues for our national security, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm just personally glad I have the opportunity to work on national defense. It's, it's my way of serving and giving back to my country, and uh, it's a great thing to work on, it's maybe the most critical. And when you read our Constitution, uh, providing for the common defense is maybe job number one for our government. And we lose sight of that sometimes, but I'm going to make sure that is our top priority. And it's wonderful to be working on that. And I'm so glad Heritage is strong on this issue as well. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for uh, your leadership on these issues and for uh, joining us today. It's been a great discussion. And uh, thanks so much to our audience for joining us. Um, I think you might receive a, sh a short survey after the event if you wouldn't mind filling that out. Uh, and with that, we'll, we'll close the event uh, and thank the congressman again. Thank you.